This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 87 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you? Kia ora, Dan. Dan, I am great. I've had another great week. I'm feeling real hyped about this podcast once again. I, I feel like I've been on a roll now. I feel like I need to calm myself down. I feel like we've got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, but there's one important thing we need to make sure all of our listeners have done before we get into what have we been watching. What is that, Paul? Make sure they've watched Squid Game. That, and maybe voted in the end oh, podcast okay. awards for <laughs> for the Listener's Choice podcast. You can do that at nzpodcastawards.com uh, forward slash nominate, and you'll need to make sure you put in there half Mrs. podcast with your email address and a link to where you maybe listen to our podcast. Though, I think the voting is open until the 30th of October, and if you haven't chucked the vote in for us yet, please go ahead and do that. Um, it would mean the world to us. If ever there was evidence needed that we don't plan even the slightest thing, it would be me saying, oh, make sure they've watched Squid Game. <laughs> that is a good message, though, because I think you should watch. You should have watched Squid Game by now. We're going to review it this episode. Correct. So if you haven't watched it, I pause, go and watch it, and then come back to the podcast. But don't forget, we're important. Correct. Well, Paul, what have you been watching? This week, Dan, I've been watching 1964's Goldfinger. After the, I don't know, the emotional roller coaster of the Daniel Craig Bond series that you know you and I have just reviewed, I cannot tell you how glad I am that in my house on Friday nights it's now officially James Bond night. Leaving work and knowing you're coming home to a Bond movie, it is the greatest, and we've still got seventeen more after this. So, Goldfinger. While investigating a gold magnate smuggling, James Bond uncovers a plot to contaminate the Fort Knox Gold Reserve. It is perhaps the most unlikely scenario or plot synopsis of any Bond movie that I can think of right now, maybe with the exception of Moonraker. But this movie is so much fun to watch. I had, once again, the best time watching it. It's a real experiment of a Bond movie for me in, in terms of they try and amp up a few things in this movie. So um, the gadgets, um, Goldfinger, the villains, his lair, the way the furniture sort of moves and the, the pool table turns upside down to reveal these elaborate plans and controls and machines that he can torture Bond with. It's more elaborate than anything we've seen so far. And it is such a great Bond movie with that Shirley Bassey theme song which is not my favorite theme song by any means but it is probably the most iconic it is an absolute treat this poster Paul everything he touches turns to excitement yeah this is actually not the best poster of you know when we think about the from Russia at level Dr. No or even some of the other ones but the movie <laughs> everything he touches turns to excitement this, from memory, I actually think is the first, my first ever experience with James Bond as a kid. I have such strong memories of Objob, um, of the the woman on the bed, like painted in gold, yeah. and it was just that this movie fascinated me with Bond, and that that's carried on up until now. And I think 
this probably was a, a great starting point for a young Daniel Whiting because of all the gadgets that you're talking about, because that, that's what really made sort of the, the spy world so alluring. Yeah, I think if, if you were to introduce someone to the bomb movies and they were unsure coming in, maybe rather than start with Dr. No, maybe starting with like a Goldfinger or or even there's a couple of later ones that you could, if you're just going to randomly start, Goldfinger is one of those ones you could really go to. It's like, if you think about any, um, uh, what do you call those, uh, like best of Bond reels that they put together, there'll be so many moments that will come from from Goldfinger, whether it's lines or memorable scenes or whatever. Um it's what it does as well is it's really good at taking the tough side of him and and sort of mixing in for the first time the comedy element. You know what I mean? I do. I just had a a, a weird memory pop into my head. Is in this movie is this where James Bond gets like a strand of hair and he puts it across his door to see whether someone's broken into his room? That's all you need to do is that and also checking for fingerprints on the underside of, oh, there was something in the room that he checked for fingerprints with dust on, the, on his briefcase. That's right. Um, it's the simplest things. Um, it, look, the reason I'm laughing is I remember as a kid, um, like us like losing our house keys or something. And I remember saying to my mum, just put a strand of hair over the door. That way we'll know whether someone's like broken in. And she's like, well, if they break in, they're going to take all your stuff. And it's like, <laughs> but we'll know because of the hair. It's what James Bond would do. It makes perfect sense. It's, it is in this movie. It's, it's a great scene. Um, it's the comedy element that comes into this movie as well, which, uh, and that's not comedy in itself, but now that you say it like that, it does feel quite comedic. He does it well. He doesn't quite stray into, and I don't want to put a slant on Roger Moore before I even get there, but I feel like some of the humour went quite far in those movies. This is just a real nice, nice balance. And and on the other side of the equation, what you just touched on, the villain's odd job as the henchman, you know, absolutely super strong, silent. He actually is reminiscent of the guy Dave Bautista's character from Spectre you know it's kind of like a maybe that was a modern day reimagining of, of this he's he's superb and of course perhaps one of the best Bond villain lines of all time with with Goldfinger when um but you know Bond says to him do you expect me to talk and Goldfinger just looks back and he goes no Mr Bond I expect you to die and it's just it's so good I saw an interview with Daniel Craig this week where he said that's his favorite bond villain moment and it's 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 just classic it's memorable and this was just another great movie to watch to rewatch. it's good i am i'm loving this journey for you paul and i love that it's happening every week good for you the second thing for me dan uh this is on amazon prime this is star trek lower decks season two so I don't know, I guess maybe a year ago-ish, we talked about the, the first season. So this is the ninth Star Trek series since the 60s, but the first ever comedy. Season one was good. It established the characters, and I enjoyed it. And here we are with season two. And this show, to give you a spoiler alert for when we do our top 10 TV shows of 2021 in a couple of months, this show's in that 10. That's how good it is. Hold on, hold on. Isn't this a bit of a comedy? I, is it, can a comedy go into your top 10 pool I'm now? I'm breaking my own rules, largely because this show was something I was sceptical about when it when it was first announced, and I was nervous about the idea of them trying to bring comedy in. And it's the fact that it's Star Trek that I'm making this exception. They're my rules, Dan, 
and I will bend them should I choose to. Um, it's just such an unlikely series. So the, the, the synopsis is this about they're a support crew. So these are the guys that work downstairs. They're not on the bridge. These are the guys that have to make sure that there's there's the, the, the cargo bays are clean and that the machines are working on the inside so that when you order your breakfast out of the replicator, it, it comes out properly. The, whilst the bridge crew are dealing with the, the real events. And this is, as you may recall from the, the poll we did a while ago, this is canon and it has been established as canon by the creators as well. It's also from the Rick and Morty veteran Mike McMahon and many of the Rick and Morty team. And that that that, that sort of comes through in the show in just the right amounts. But if I was to place this alongside Rick and Morty right now in terms of how much I enjoy it, and if you said I could only watch one, I would choose this. And I think for anyone that's been listening to this podcast for the last couple of months would know how highly that I, well, both of us were praising Rick and Morty in terms of how much it makes us laugh. Um, I will preface it because I know I oversell things, that if I wasn't such a huge Trek fan, I probably wouldn't say that. So if you could imagine if there was a Star Wars animated comedy and you weren't into Star Wars, you could appreciate how some people might not get it as much. It's that kind of thing for me. But even though based on how much Star Trek you've watched, I think you would get a lot out of this. So I'm um, 100% recommending Star Trek Lower Decks. Season 2, 10 episodes. They're 25 minutes each. It's a real easy watch on Amazon Prime. I really enjoyed the first season, um, and so I'm I'm definitely going to add uh, season two to my to my list. I've actually I've seen a few people on Twitter sort of actually rave about this series, sort of really growing into its own now in the second season. Yeah. So yeah, look, it's it, it sounds all good, and especially like, I'm not the the most knowledgeable person when it comes to Star Trek. So and I had a great time. Oh, that's good. I think yeah, if you like season one. Season two is is sort of like season one. The the ratings were sort of in the sixes and sevens, and season two is now sort of in the eights. And towards the second half, there's some nines in there. And to put that into context, like Discovery, the latest season of Discovery is scoring sixes and sevens. So this is hitting all the right notes and really resonating with fans. And um, it's the yeah, as I say, it's the characters that are really working. And the other thing they do really well is they bring back characters from previous star trek shows being voiced by the actual actors and so of course that's quite easy in animation so we've had people like commander Riker, you would have remembered and cancer troy tom paris the boar queen and of course the big question with trek fans is always you know oh, who are they going to back next and a, a little while ago um i was a guest on a live roddenberry podcast and i actually got the chance to meet one of the lead actors from Lower Decks, um, Fred Tadascore, who um, voices Shaxx. And he's also been in Force Awakens and Clone Wars and He-Man and American Dad. So much stuff. And I asked him, oh, who would you like to see them bring back? And he said he'd like to have Michael Dorn come back, who plays the Klingon Wharf in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. So that would be that would be pretty awesome if they were to do that, because they're always bringing back characters. And it's, it must be for the actors and actresses, it must be just such an easy gig to come in and have some fun, just to have a, a, just like we are now doing this podcast, just give me a microphone and I'll bring that character back to life. I think it's good too. Like I am, I imagine in a, in a, the COVID world that we now live in, actually pumping out your animated shows is so much easier. Uh, not to say there's not a lot of work that goes into them, but just actually you probably be able to, to do this in a remote working way and like maintain the the series flow whereas with obviously live action stuff there's sets being closed down all the time you've got to have a whole bunch of people in close quarters so it's a good time for the animated world oh 100 it is so yeah 
all the guns, Amazon Prime, at least it is here in New Zealand. I think it's CBS in the States, but uh, it's, a, it's a full recommendation from me. But so yeah, that season two and Goldfinger is pretty much me because most of this week for me, Dan, I've spent watching Squid Game like you have. So we'll, we'll get to that later. What have you been watching? Well, I have got back on the um, Marvel train. Timeline order, of course, Paul. Of course. You know how it's done. The only order. So uh, two Marvel movies under my belt this week. So the first one is the 2016 movie Doctor Strange. So remind me, have you seen Doctor Strange? I have, yeah. I had a great time. Yeah, so fan, like Doctor Strange, This and this is another movie that just has really just still holds its ground as a fantastic uh, origin story movie. I think Marvel does a fantastic job of really bringing uh, magic to life in the in the cinematic universe in, in a way that everyone can understand. Fantastic cast, fantastic storyline. Benedict Cumberbatch is just a, a great, uh, serious slash dry humor actor. I, I loved everything about this movie. And Mads Mikkelsen opposite as well, the scenes that some of they have together. I mean, those two are just, there's something about Benedict and Mads. They, they, they hold a certain grandeur or stature. There's something about the way they, they hold themselves. They were both fantastic in this, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Look, and the, and the whole cast is standout, right? So Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, Tilda Swinton, um, Benjamin Brett. Like there's, this really is a, like I love how much Hollywood weight and heft is behind these movies now. And yeah, you know, I've said it with a few of the other Marvel movies. This is one of the ones that you can almost watch as watch as a bit of a standalone experience. But once you kind of know the context of the wider Marvel universe, obviously a lot of the things that happen in Doctor Strange are pretty critical to the wider storyline. So had a fantastic time watching Doctor Strange. I'd give it I'd give it all the guns. Awesome. I can't wait till we get to the end i'm going to make you rank them down so just be prepared for that oh all 25 that's right wow. all right I'll, I'll do that for you paul or at least i want the, the top 10 i'll at least want the top 10 maybe top, top 10 okay top 10 okay and then the the second marvel movie i watched was thor ragnarok so this movie came out in 2017 this is our third thor movie directed by taika waititi uh new zealand zone and this was one of my favorite Marvel movies for a long time. And I'd only seen it once. And one of the things I really loved about it was a fantastic soundtrack. Um, Led Zeppelin, uh, great sort of Kiwi humor scattered throughout. Uh, Thor fighting Hulk with friends from work. So good. I didn't have as much fun watching this movie on a second time round. I think it's it's interesting, right? This is a, a bright, colourful, fun um, superhero movie. It's definitely like of the three Thor movies. This is definitely, you know, probably one of the best. I think it was because the you know a lot of those jokes and a lot of that humour is just so good the first time you hear it. But it's really hard, like when you know it's coming, it's just never quite as good the second time round. Um, I still had a good time, it just didn't land as well as, as one that I wanted to, I guess, rush to go back to again. So I'd probably give this a, a three guns akimbo on the scale. That's extraordinary because this this is one I haven't seen. It's one that I'm got the biggest FOMO about because everyone 
talks about it as as this this as this amazing experience and and just look at the cast is outrageous any one of these names could lead a movie and just be the star by themselves chris hensworth tom hiddleston kate blanchett matt ruffalo idris elba jeff gold gold goldblum cal urban anthony hopkins benedict Cumberbatch. it just i can't even see the bottom of the page i mean it's outrageous I think as a as a first time watcher, you would have a fantastic time, and it's it's not it's not even that it's a bad movie. I, I I guess it just didn't watch as well a second second time around. Like it's still a a fantastic Marvel movie, fantastic in the context of all the other movies. Just you know, some movies you can rewatch time and time again. I didn't. I just didn't get the same spark of joy out of it the second time around. Talking of color, that's another really colorful poster, and I thought that was Angelina Jolie. At the mo- in the middle, but it's not that. It must be Kate Blanchett. It is indeed. Oh, yes. Uh, Angelina Jolie is in the upcoming Marvel movie, though, The Eternals. I think I'm confusing that with that Maleficent movie. <laughs> I think it just looks Yeah, same. it does have that vibe, doesn't it? This poster actually looks very Wonder Woman 1984. Like, it's kind of got that vibe about it. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, so the, the Marvel timeline um, rewatch is in full steam, so... We've basically got uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp next, and then we're into Infinity War, Endgame, another Spider-Man movie, and we're all done. We're four movies away, Paul. That does seem quite incredible, because when you go back to 2008, it's quite a long journey, and yet it doesn't feel that long. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing that they've made so many. I wonder, I feel like, will we in 15, 20 years' time have these actors coming back doing a doing a Michael Keaton or something you know bringing the gang back together as, a, as an older bunch I don't know well I, I think that's well and truly on the cards because they, they've already set up this universe like we've got multiverses we've got timelines we've got, there's all there's all sorts of ways that we can do that so I would definitely wouldn't be surprised awesome. should we move on over to your favorite topic and mine the Walking Dead so this week we we've actually we're we're on the the mid-season break of The Walking Dead, but we're back with The Walking Dead World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead. Shall we start with World Beyond, Paul? Let's start with World Beyond. Welcome to the jungle, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We are at season two, episode three, Exit Wounds. An attempted grift leads to a precarious situation. Huck is given an ultimatum. Um... I'll start off with the positive for me, Dan, which is this was a better episode than what I think we've seen so far this season. And the fact that I'm still going to probably slate this entire episode is not a good sign and not a good a good indication of the previous two episodes we've had so far. Um, I, I think having Elton in this episode, for starters, meant I enjoyed it a bit more. I, I thought the story they told with him and Percy, I thought that was, I thought that was quite good. And, you know, and this group of people that they meet and it sort of, the way that played out, um, I thought that side of the episode was good. The other side with Hope, I felt like I've got a lot of gripes, which I'll come back to. What about you? Yeah, look, this definitely wasn't a great episode, but it was also better than the two episodes we've had so far. I am completely with you. I think Elton saved this episode, and if it wasn't for his double-strength corduroy, I don't know where we'd be. So... For those people who don't watch The World Beyond and just sort of listen to this podcast just purely to hear us bang on about our dislike of this TV show, yet our relentless watching of all the different varieties they put out, um, Elton was bitten, well, 
by a by a walker, but the the walker couldn't bite through his corduroy jacket, and that saved him. This, if if we'd known that, if we knew this, well, we do know this now. I'm thinking I need to get myself one for when the zombie apocalypse comes because I have to admit, when I saw him get the bite, I think Diana looked over at me because she knows that I like this character and I'm also on the verge of throwing myself through the TV every time it's on, and so it was. It was a it was an interesting write into the story. Um, I'm not going to pick too many holes in that, much like the material itself. Um, but and look, I won't repeat everything I've said before, and probably you've said before. But the two big points that continue to apply for me is we only have two seasons, and so this show is all about the the CRM and the weird science stuff that they're doing downstairs with the zombies and the linkages to the wider universe. Instead, we're wasting more time pretending to care about characters and their pasts and their current anxieties and joking around in science class. And so the, 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 side, the side of the episode with Hope, she's playing Jenga with this guy. Now, can you imagine Rick and Shane playing Jenga in The Walking Dead? No. And I think, okay, well, this is a show about younger generations, so we would expect that. And if we had six or seven seasons, maybe, but we have to put the games away I want the writers of this show, Dan, on this podcast. I need to know how the collective ratings across multiple sites and social media and things like IMDb and the Half Measures podcast are all saying the same thing, and yet they're still putting the same thing out week after week. If this was a restaurant, no one would be coming back for seconds. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like it's almost kind of been a bit of a bait and switch because now Hope is the super smart one. Um, and she was kind of the the bad girl in the first season, and now they're just kind of flexing how intelligent she is. But it just it it feels so teen romancy, and it's just not what I'm looking for in uh, the Walking Dead world beyond. And even just it's kind of annoying that the CRM have got so much uh, equipment and technology, and everything is color coded and in pristine condition. It just doesn't make sense in the context of where we are in the world. And, you know, then even just the way it ended, it kind of made me mad because I like the fact that they they very quickly brought Elton back together with Iris. Mm. And then all of a sudden we've actually got Hope and we've got um, Huck all kind of in the same space. And then we've got kind of like Percy like hiding in the background with a little pocket knife. Bro, that pocket knife ain't doing anything. The CRM have got the full force. They've probably got like Apache helicopters ready to rain hell on this on this place. Like, why does this art commune have no fences? I've got so many questions. Once again, I just don't know where it's going. No, I don't either. And yeah, I forgot about Huck. She's a character who I think I actually like in principle, but I'm not interested in the story she's going on with this guy, just like I wasn't last week with Felix. I am... Um, what I just find interesting, Dan, is I don't know how you, because we don't do prep on this show, on this podcast, sorry, and we don't do any notes. I sometimes look at IMDb and I look at the photos from the episode as a way of reminding me of things to talk about. The episode, this episode, they haven't. it's like they've given up on that as well. They haven't even put a sink, they haven't put a poster up, they haven't put any photos up. If you go into the Half Measures podcast IMDb page, there's at least three photos every episode for each podcast we do. And yet here we are, AMC, someone's just gone, do you know what? I can't be bothered with that. Forget it. Who can be bothered? No one's looking at it. I'm looking at it. I'd appreciate some photos in there. I'm sick of it, Dan. Can we move on to Fear the Walking Dead? Yeah, let's do that. I, I, it's funny you say that because I had that same experience this this morning when I was getting some tabs ready, and I was just like, "Where, where is all the information? Is this the episode? Am I on the right page?" Like it was just, just really just threw me a lot. So if they're not going to put photos up, then you know 
don't expect us to do preparation notes for these podcasts, for goodness sake. Let's go across to season seven, the premiere episode of season seven, episode one, The Beacon. While most of the landscape is destroyed by nuclear warheads, Strand thrives in one of the few inhabitable places left. Strand's search for survivors uncovers a stranger with an unexpected connection to his past. So we're, we're moving forward. So a while ago, probably six months ago, we had the, the season six finale with the, the nuclear bomb detonation from the submarine and a whole lot of things got completely wiped out and other places have been left an absolute wreck. And we pick up the action uh, with someone we've never met before. And we sort of were walking in his shoes for a while. And I thought that worked really well. Now, I'm going to justify myself because, of course, if this was the world beyond, I'd be complaining. But we're seven seasons in. We have the time to do this sort of thing with the show and we have the patience with this show because of the length of time we're given. So it works. And I I thought that the first five minutes of this episode is the most real in an, you know, in speech marks. Like if, if, if there was such a thing as a post-apocalyptic life, I feel like this is the most real that they've ever portrayed it for me. I, f- I feel like it was so bleak. It was so depressing. The guy, after just a few days, just ends up sitting down and just crying because it's just too much. I-, I just thought it was a really strong start. And the episode for me was great. What are you thinking? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I thought this was a, a breath of fresh air. And I was... I'd kind of forgotten that we just ended on this such a big cliffhanger from the, the end of season six with Fear the Walking Dead with the nuclear missiles being fired. And it was, I think you're right, it was a really great, almost kind of like one of those five-minute montage type scenes to really get a sense of time and how uh, broken the the land is and how much harder it is for our survivors. I think the one thing I was sort of like, oh, have we seen this guy before? Is he new to us? And it just got me thinking, does The Walking Dead want us to be watching all of these series? Because I kind of just get muddled about like, have we seen this guy? Do we know him? Should I know who he is? Should I know his backstory? Or is he actually genuinely new? And I I kind of end up just sort of like giving up in my mind and just going with the story. I think this was a good episode. I kind of liked, I felt like, you know, Strand has long been kind of turning into a, a bad guy. Like, and he's always kind of been a bit of a bad guy. But I feel like this is him turning into a bit of a a governor, a Negan, uh, a whoever it may be. And he he's really gone crazy. Like, he's really gone like, down the deep end. At the same time, it made me miss a lot of the other characters that we've got in Fear. Mm. And I was intrigued about their decision to focus it on Strand. Yeah, it is an interesting decision, but I um, see. I actually quite, and again, I, I sound like I contradict myself, so I justify. I I love how we get an intense focus on one character, and I know I've criticised that in the past, but the reason I like it is when it works. When that's a, a strong character, um, whether we like him or not, which obviously we we don't, um, and a well written story, which is what we which is what we have here. Um, I've, I've yeah, he's he's gone off the he's gone off the deep end. You know, he's wearing these uniforms. He looks he looks like a like you say like a dictator. He's he's crazy, and he's just when you think throughout the episode, oh maybe he's he's going to come good. He 
you know, he, he, he really shocked me when he just chucked that guy over the edge because I, I was starting to like this guy. You know, we don't know just met him. He seemed quite good. If you're wondering why we recognize him, he plays the actor. I'm not sure if you picked up, but he plays Dr. Pershing in The Mandalorian. So, you know, the, the Imperial oh, Doctor with the beard right, who's doing the right, experiments right, right. on Grogu uh, with the dark glasses. Yeah, that's, that's him. And so um, I thought he was quite a nice guy, but, you know, um, Strand takes care of him quite quickly. And uh, we talked about, I guess, it was almost actually just over a year ago when season six premiered and we had that whole episode on Morgan and he was really badly injured in the season six premiere and the whole thing was set around him. We said at the time it was like the the strongest start to any Walking Dead season ever. And I feel like this wasn't quite as strong, but it was still it's it's a really good way to come into a season for me. I think you're right. Like you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said We've had seven seasons with these guys, so you can almost kind of do whatever you like because we've got the the base platform to to bounce off. And I think, you know, even though I was just sort of saying that it was interesting that it became a strange episode, he's a good a character as any to have a, you know, a bit of a focus on. And I'm intrigued to see what they do um, with his character arc throughout the story. And I would imagine we might get a few more character-driven episodes just given the sense that, all of the the key groups within Fear the Walking Dead are split up in different locations and they all um, sought shelter in various places. And I would imagine that not all of them are going to be as fortunate as Strand. Exactly right. Oh, 100% they won't be. I mean, this guy's living the the high life compared to what we saw in the opening five minutes of the guy, you know, resorting to radioactive rat or whatever it was. It's... um. And it does make you miss the other characters. And I'm just looking at the characters now. And the, this is why I've come to love the show. You know, we've got Morgan, we've got Dwight, we've got Alicia, we've got June, we've got Daniel. Um, there's there's so many great characters to come through. And so, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how they bring these things together. Um, and what, because yeah, having a, a zombie apocalypse is one thing, but having that set in a nuclear wasteland, it's it's really and- good. In a true half measure sense, like I'm intrigued that Strand is so uh, obsessed with Alicia when I think Morgan's the real threat. Like, yeah, I think his obsession is, as he indicated, more one of that feeling of family. And so I, I feel like, I mean, him and Morgan, you know, at the end in that submarine when they basically look like yeah, he was just basically sacrificing him at any opportunity. I think if those two meet again, it could be quite messy. But um. Yeah, we'll see. I'll be. I've resisted reading ahead because you know how they do the synopsis for the next episode. I like to go in, go in blind. So I'm looking forward to that next week. I actually, all I can say is thank goodness that we actually, you know, last time we had actual original Walking Dead as well as World Beyond, and now at least we've got Fear as well as World Beyond, so that we've kind of got something to kind of balance it out against. Correct, correct, and you know, and the Walking Dead season eleven finished on a on a or the mid-season finale whatever finished on a good note so this is coming in as a good replacement for that and we just need uh we just need the world beyond to pick it up dan but there we go that's that's the walking dead for this week awesome well should we move on to another tv show that we have both decided to watch squid game just a, a little bit of a pre-warning we will probably be talking full spoilers um which I guess we have just been about <laughs> Walking Dead as well. So if you haven't seen Squid Game yet, you may want to use the the time codes and jump ahead uh, or pause and go and get yourself up to date. We're coming into this fairly late ourselves. 
Indeed. Yeah, it, it hasn't been out that long, and yet we're still relatively far behind the rest of the world. This is popularity number one on IMDb. It's broken all the records on, on Netflix, and it's making a lot of headlines around the world. This uh, Korean language is it's the first time I've watched anything I think that's um fully subtitled and and in Korean for the entire nine and a bit hours hundreds of cash strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games inside inside attempting prize awaits with deadly high stakes a survival game that has a whopping 46 billion won prize at stake now i've done the math because the whole time i was watching this i was like what's ten thousand one mean this is still a lot of money this is massive this show dan i came for the hype i literally had no idea what to expect and it was probably one of the most unique engrossing and totally different shows that i've watched this year yeah definitely i regret not jumping on this earlier i feel like i'd heard way too much about it before i watched it i managed to sort of avoid knowing what any of the games were or kind of knowing any spoilers but i still like i don't like watching a show when everyone's like you've got to watch squid games you've got to watch Squid Games. that's so good because i I can't i don't want that level of hype i want to come in fresh and um I I had a, a great time. I think this movie, oh, sorry, this TV show, deserves all the accolades, the applauses, the the celebration that it's getting. And I think what's kind of fascinating about it is this is a pretty dark TV show. It's pretty stressful at times, and there is a love for this TV show amongst young and old all around the place and it just kind of it it catches me off guard when I I don't think this is a show for everybody but there is a lot of people who I would not expect to like this show who are raving about it I think there's something unique about the appeal of it and and the raving about it is partly that but for me I wonder if if the other part of it is you know amongst all the hype if something something this show did and so much else that I've watched lately hasn't done as much was connect me. I felt so connected to the characters. Uh, and, you know, I I didn't expect that to happen. And it is, I, I didn't know much. I saw in our Discord news channel when Sador posted it in there and I saw the, the poster with the triangle and the square and the circle and I presumed, oh, this is some like PlayStation thing. Yeah, I just... I thought oh, it's, it's like that. I had no idea what I was coming to, so I was genuinely shocked and completely enthralled. You know, with, with each game seemed to be more exciting than the last one. Um, and although that first game really does set the tone, and you know unequivocally that these guys are in absolute trouble if 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 they don't play properly. Yeah, I think the the first game of uh, uh, Red Light Green Light mm. is. So, what the hell? So, no, oh my God. Like, it's it's so shocking. Shocking, yeah. It, it sets it up perfectly for the, the rest of the show. And I think what's interesting about it, though it's quite violent and quite uh, dark, it's always in the context of the story. Like, it's not just, like, ex- like extreme violence for the sake of it. Like, it, like it's in the context. Like, it, it, it kind of... Those tensions kind of work 
naturally in this in this way, which is weird. It does. It, it, it's. I think you've summed it up really well because when you think about the number of of deaths and the manner of those deaths, that alone may put a lot of people off, which sort of goes against what you were describing before about the the amount of love and the amount of raving from all age groups. I um. The other thing I found is I often find watching foreign language shows. So like recently I watched, you know, Money Heist and previously Narcos. I find it actually quite draining. And all I mean by that is actually just uh, physically actually, because, you know, we don't normally watch a show with subtitles on, right? And so when you've got no audio that you can understand, you're entirely dependent on the subtitles. So you're watching it and reading it. And those subtitles move quite quickly. And yet with this one, I, after each episode, I was just hungry for more and more and more. I wanted to see what the next game was. I wanted to see who was going to, who was going to be gone, you know, cause that's, that's part of the way it works because even the characters you dislike, you become more and more invested in all of their stories as they progress further. Um, I think, I don't know about you, I'll put you on the spot, but for me, my favorite game was actually the, the glass bridge. I thought oh, yeah. that was an extraordinary scene and, and it just played out really, really well. But the other thing they did, quite well was they showed um so much about what was going on outside of the games themselves and i loved all of that as well sort of just seeing people's real life struggles with debts with family their lives in chaos and and how clearly a lot of these people just really needed a break they needed some money and this this opportunity presented itself with the most well the biggest risk you could ever face Mm-hmm. I think it's you know it's interesting to watch right because I don't know about you but as the games progressed particularly after Red Light Green Light and then the Honeycomb one and mm. like actually when they'd be like okay find the partner or choose a number we would often be like oh what number would you take and then like seeing the consequences of that it was like oh god like and it just makes you rethink everything so the next time they were like all right choose a partner and you are thinking do you want someone strong? Do you want someone who's like light? Do you, you know like this? There's, there's so much to think about, and it kind of kept you on on the edge of the seat the whole way. I the one thing I do I think by the like probably by about episode like let me start again. I think episodes one to three I was just I was drawn in, watched them back to back, couldn't get enough of it. As we kind of got into the later episodes, the six, seven, eight, nine. I found it I, – I wanted them to speed up a little bit. Right. Um, and then, which was sort of – it's a bit of a dual-edged sword because I wanted to speed up because I'd be like almost like, oh, just hurry up, like, let's get across this bridge. Like someone make a move. Like I wanted them to get going. But the whole point of it is actually the tension of your life is at risk and you have to make some some hard decisions. But I did want them to go a little bit faster. Yeah, no, I – I get that as well. I um, I think actually the final game was a little disappointing um, for me. Ironic, given that that was actually Squid Game, the name of the show. Um, I think it was the physical fighting that came into the you know, between the the two the last two characters. One of the weaknesses for me, like we sort of said four episodes in, it's like obviously we we know who the winner of this game is. So again, listeners spoilers again we know it's going to be Shung Gi-hun because he's the character he's the main character we're following all the way through so I was like I'm really going to be surprised if they don't make this guy the winner and so in hindsight if I was to criticize the show I'd be like maybe give me even more background about Sang Woo or about um, um, any of the other contestants 
um, because that would have then made me a bit more. Oh, I wonder who it is who's going to be the the winner here. But that's a that's a minor criticism. I didn't really care if I knew who I thought would be the ultimate winner, or at least who would get to the the final, because it was more just the excitement of the journey getting there. I think that's an interesting point, um, particularly on the very last game of Squid Game, because I felt like the rules were so strict throughout this whole thing, and I felt like once they got to just the final, the final. It was almost like it was more of a fight right between the last yeah. two characters, and I I found myself being like, like why aren't the the people in the red jumpsuits enforcing the rules here? Like why are they letting them actually just kind of fight to the death? Like the whole point of this whole thing has been follow the rules, like don't sort of step out of bounds, don't. And it's like that was just literally a you guys need to kill each other and only one person is walking out of this. So the squid yeah. game kind of became irrelevant at that point. That's right. Yeah. By the time we got down to the last three, the interest in the games side of it had, had, had gone for me because the, 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 the excitement of seeing those characters build up and up and up had, had, had dissipated. Um, so then there was the interesting twist at the end because I was so sad about the game of marbles with the old guy. Cause we knew that we knew the old guy was gone burgers because you know, our main character was going through and then when they because we talked about how explicit the show is in terms of the the how they visualize these deaths and of course with the old man they sort of allowed the camera to pan out of shot and you just heard the gunshot and at the time like a real noob i thought that's really nice i like how they've done that they they don't want us to see this old guy get shot we love this old guy he's been so nice throughout and and i love the way they've protected us from that but of course that came back to be a twist at the end which i thought was really clever yeah and it's interesting right like um i don't know whether you've seen on social media there's been a few videos floating around of all the clues uh leading up to that point which i definitely didn't spot any mm. of them um you know like this this sort of did catch me um by surprise you know and so some of the clues that i've seen uh so when in red light green light when the doll is scanning all the people the old man is the only one that doesn't get scanned so he's the only one that doesn't get a a green box around him in the uh tug of war um the old man is the only one without um he's got uh, cuffs on his on his wrist, but they're not padlocked on, and everyone else has padlocks. Brilliant. Uh, the obviously you don't see um, you don't see his death in the marble game, and so there's like I think there's quite a few of those clues all the way throughout the the series. I love that. That's the sort of thing that I don't, and I don't know that I would necessarily rewatch this, but that's the sort of thing that you would love to be watching that sort of detail when you know, oh, he's he's the inside guy. You sort of pick up on those things. I um on the subject you mentioned the the guys in the red suits. I found that fascinating as well, and I, I think the the whole the whole policeman's story, you know, looking for his brother. I felt like even though that was the main purpose of his character story, that was actually the B story of why they had him. He was the vessel for me of seeing what it was like to be one of these red people to see behind the scenes how they got treated, how they how they lived, what the expectations were on them. Um, similarly, the doctor story, selling organs, uh, yeah, like they sort of like even within this organized crime thing there was another level of underground crime going on it was uh, quite a few layers it was pretty fascinating yeah look i think this is uh this, this is a great watch I, I hopefully if you haven't seen it you haven't been listening to this because i think this is a show that's best experienced fresh and i think it actually speaks to i think just the um, and i've heard a few people say this that the quality of um, TV shows and movies coming out of South Korea is just 
next level and you know when you think about things like parasite you think about things like this and a whole bunch of other stuff that i imagine we don't even know about that's probably just in the same tier as this but we just don't get um visibility of it so hopefully we we get more in this genre and i think it's um it's it's good it's good to have something different oh it really is and i as i say i i don't believe i've watched a this this length of show all in korean with subtitles and i've thoroughly enjoyed it and i i want more and just on the subject of that and i don't mean any disrespect to the americans at all simply the, the americans in this show when those rich yanks you know the vips turn out with their golden mass there was such a repulsive reaction to them particularly as we hadn't had any english for so long that suddenly hearing these these english people sorry american people swearing in english it just felt so repulsive even though we've been reading it in the subtitles there was something about from an audio perspective it was really it was a really interesting experience having those characters come in and be so instantly dislikable for, for the reasons why they're there it was uh another like i said another layer i i agree it was definitely a a kind of a, a extra layer of grossness over the top of it yeah um and i think what was sort of interesting is i think because as we got near the end of the games i feel like the focus you know, like all of the games felt quite managed up until sort of near the end. And then all of a sudden, like management wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the games. They were paying attention to what was going wrong behind the scenes. And it felt like that as well, which is probably why there was no rules and controls over the final squid game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, well done. I, this is a, all the guns TV show for me. Oh, 100% same for me. And as you may have guessed, available on Netflix. Who? Uh, just a quick question before we move on to Movie of the Week, Dan. Season two, do you think it's going to happen? Yeah, well, I have uh, in my various uh, news desk reports ah. have seen a little bit of information that there may, there may well be a season two, and I think it's kind of set up right for our, our main actor to, to come back and potentially even re-enter the games, um, as crazy as that may sound. But I've also seen reports that season two could actually be from the point of view as the of the people running the game so a whole different sort of like mm. context on of how it happens so look i think I, i'm intrigued i i don't know if they could shock and wow us as much as they have done with the second season um but i'm sure given i, I think i read something earlier that it's worth about 900 million dollars currently as a as a concept to Netflix at the moment. so Which is more than the prize I, money. <laughs> that's, that's more than the prize money. So I'm sure we'll be seeing more Squid Games. Brilliant. Okay, well, I, I would definitely sign up for more. I, I'm i going to be my usual cynical negative self and say I don't think that Lightning can start twice. I don't think they can make it as good as that. But, hey, let's find out. Indeed. Well, Paul, it's probably about time to talk about our movie of the week. Let's go there, Dan. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie to review. We post the movie in our Discord channel a week in advance. You can join that community by clicking on the link in the show notes and find out what movie we're going to be watching. So you can come into this podcast prepared. What do we watch this week, Dan? 
we watched a movie called The Silent Scene. So this is basically a movie about a reformed hunter living in isolation on a wildlife sanctuary who becomes involved in a deadly game of cat and mouse when he and the local sheriff set out to track a vicious killer who may have kidnapped his daughter years ago. So this movie came out in 2020. It stars Nikolai Costa-Walder, who you may know as uh, Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, and also uh, Annabelle uh, Wallace, who is the sheriff, and you may know her from Peaky Blinders. You may know her from star trek discovery that's where i know her from she plays zora in star trek um and i do remember um nicolaj costa waldo from the from the first season of game of thrones that i did watch i do recall his his character in that i thought he in this movie was really really good i, I haven't seen too much of his stuff but i thought he was absolutely fantastic in in this and i found this movie quite a nice surprise i didn't know what to expect coming in i was taken in by the by the poster by the genre and by the uh, by the synopsis that you just read out and i i thought yeah i thought this was scary as hell in certain parts and lots of really good twists some of them really quite semi unexpected and unlikely at times um i thought it was uh, i love the runtime one hour 30 short sharp there was no filler they were really down to business there are some things that I thought didn't work so well, but by and large, this was actually better than I expected. I think this movie was almost didn't even matter what this movie was going to be. It was always going to be tough coming off a uh, five weeks of peak performance, sorry, of um, movie of the week for James yeah. Bond. Yeah. This movie was always going to be like, it felt hard. I was like, oh, I was kind of, I was like, oh, I wish we were watching more like uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond. But, um, I think what you just said, this movie worked, I think, because of its runtime. It knew what story it wanted to tell, and it did it in a a relatively quick fashion. And I think that um, Nikolai, who plays Rayburn, fantastic actor. I've seen him in a few different things outside of Game of Thrones. Always puts in a, a really top job. I think this film is beautifully shot. It's got a, a lot of like great kind of set pieces to it. Lots of great sort of panning camera shots mm. through forests and moody bars and, and all sorts of stuff. I do think the story kind of jumped around a little bit. Um, but overall, like I had a pretty good time watching it. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. And I think that what you're talking about, the jumping around a bit, I, I think is what I was saying the same way around the the unexpected twists sometimes like they they'd go in a certain direction so like the um the the brother um of the of the sheriff um and the way she reacted when she realized it was him inside the the suit again i don't know if we should make any effort to be spoiler free dan we never really do on this podcast i i just felt like once she had done that, I immediately disliked her character, and the, because she had gone against our guy, the main guy that we, who we, other than his drinking in front of kids and the way he talks to kids, I think is quite a nice guy. Um, but then all of a sudden, things change, and suddenly, oh no, okay, we're we're back on board with her again, and yeah, that was that was jumping about all over the place. But the 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 scenery that you described and the scenes, the cinematography in the forest makes me. 
you know, we talk about movies like Blair Witch. You don't want to go back into the forest. This is the sort of movie that makes me not want to go into a forest right now because those arrow things are the most frightening thing that you could possibly imagine because you cannot see them coming. And by the time you do, it's gone through your forehead. I thought that was executed really, really well. I thought it was uh, a credit to so the director, uh, Robin Prompt. Um, he, he has a very limited, very unknown uh, filmography. And I think this is this is probably something that's going to set him up quite well. Yeah, I think I think you're right about the the weapon, right? Like it's a a hand thrown short spear, mm. kind of used like an arrow, and interesting weapon of choice because I like they say in the movie, I think it takes a lot of skill to be proficient um, and deadly with one of those. And I think they, yeah, like it's it's interesting though. Like there's there's things in the film though that are kind of a bit weird, like how the arrowheads had like the initials in them. Mm. And it's like, if you're a serial killer, Paul, I think you're trying to remove traces to your identity. You're not dropping clues. My arrows are all going to have DW written on them just as a, I'm really going to try and put people off the scent. No, that, that was a weird, a weird choice. Um, that didn't make a lot of sense. The other thing, just if I was to take a critical lens again, remembering that I married Sherlock Holmes, right? So, she, Diana said, "Not even halfway through, it's going to be this guy." And I was like, "It's, it's not going to be that guy." And it was that guy. And it's like, it's it, there were so few characters for us to to choose from if if they were going to go with someone we knew. That I guess ultimately it was once you eliminate the impossible, however unlikely, whatever remains must be the truth, and that's how it worked. Uh, it was a bit odd, but um, it, it still worked enough for me, given that I came in with low expectations and knew that I wasn't going to be watching Casino Royale. Yeah, look, I think what saves this movie ultimately is its, is its relatively short runtime, mm. because it kind of makes you a bit more tolerant of some of these things that are happening. And I think like it is... When you're watching these sorts of movies on a streaming service, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the the price I'm paying is my time. And I had a good enough time that it wasn't – I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. So I think if you've got access to this movie, you're looking for sort of a, a good murder, thriller, crime-type movie. You could do far worse than The Silence. Like it's, it's a, it feels like a bit of a, an indie project. Mm. Um, but it's it, – as we said, it's shot beautifully um, – you, you can do far worse than this. You could be watching World Beyond, for example. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's not make that comparison too often because otherwise everything's going to sound great. But yeah, definitely worth it uh, for a quick hour and a half movie. It's available to watch on Neon here in New Zealand. What? How many guns are you going to give it, Paul? Uh, look, I'm going to be relatively generous. I feel I'm. I'm. I'm going to. No, no, I can't say no. I'm going to say three. I'm going to say two and a half out of four. Two and a half. I was going to say two and a half. Two and a half feels about right. Like yeah. it's it's a it's a bit better than than. <laughs> Remind me of this. We're scale. making this down here. How did we come to the scale of four guns? We're sorry. I don't know. Look, blame blame the guns of Kimbo movie. That's right. You know, we don't right. we don't make the law. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you want to find out what our movie of the week is for next week, you should come along and join our Discord channel. You can find the details for that in the show notes below. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? The show notes below. I'm just looking below you. I can't see any show notes. 
They're not for you, Paul. They're for our listeners. Okay, okay, good. Okay, so first thing on the news desk, there have been a whole lot of um, Marvel Cinematic Universe delays and schedule changes, and this always happens, so I guess it's not too much of a shock. So I'll just run through the list pretty quickly. So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, that's been delayed from March um, March 25th, and it's been shifted to May 6th. Thor, Love and Thunder has been delayed from May 6th to July 8th. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, delayed from July 8th all the way down to November 11th. Uh, the Marvels has been delayed from November the 11th uh, until February 17, 2023. Ant-Man and the Wasp, that's been delayed from February 17, 2023 to July 28, 2023. Um, and also Indiana Jones 5 has been delayed from July... 29 to June 2023 so a few big delays in that space but that is always the way there's always things sort of being moved around to to make way for what's going to be ready the soonest Indiana Jones is the one I was most looking forward to out of that bunch so that's annoying but there we go mm. Mm. Um, the we've talked about this a little bit on the news test before. The Continental is a new TV show that's coming out and basically about the the John Wick universe and the Hotel Continental, and they have cast Mel Gibson in a starring role, which has been met with quite a bit of backlash. Mel Gibson doesn't have the the greatest track record over the last few years, um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens in this space over the coming weeks. It is it is always controversial when certain people get cast in things and I keep waiting for the day where I'm going to wake up and there's going to be a headline where Kevin Spacey's starring something and I just wonder what the world, you know, where does the world's memory end and where do we, you know, I, I just feel like sometimes people have short memories. I think the question is, Paul, is who sets the memory, you know? <laughs> That's the question, who sets the memory? Well, I think, you know, in the context of, you know, you take, I'm going to go down a wormhole here, but you take someone like Disney, right? And they'll they'll cancel people all the time for various things they've tweeted and said, but they themselves have a very uh, dark and sordid history. They do. Um, which, which they, you know, they cover up with a, it was a different time and place. So who knows? That's interesting. Anyway. Yeah, I know. Like the James Gunn situation and and then also the Carlo Cookino with um, Mandolin. Yep, no, fair call. Fair call. Um, DC Titans has been um, renewed for season four, which is great news for fans of that show. Uh, Marvel Hawkeye is going to launch with a two-episode premiere on the 24th of November, which is great. You and I always love a bit of a, a an extra long premiere of TV shows. Indeed. Uh, Netflix has renewed You for a fourth season, which is great because they've only just dropped season three. So pretty excited to know that we've got another season of that show. We should review um, you season three, Paul. Oh, yeah. Should we do it next week? Let's do it. Let's do it for the fans. That's good. Uh, and then <laughs> final bit of news. Now I'm going to get on your case again for a moment. So Ozark's final season is set to premiere in January next year. Now, Paul... I want you up to speed with Ozark, all right? I want you up I've to speed. I've asked you a few times. I want you up to speed with Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, you've had since 87, son. Jog on, mate. Jog on. <laughs> this 
look, I'm going to want to talk about this show and I, I want someone to be able to, 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 to bant back and forth with. Okay. I, it's, it's my request to you between now and January, start on Ozark. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put it on the backlog and see how we go. It feels non It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be back here. I'm like, a, I'm going to be like your dad. Just, have you done it yet, Paul? Oh, no. I feel it's going to be, oh, no. Let's, let, let's, let's move on. What's the next news story? Uh, that is all for me. Anything on your end? A um, couple of quick things. So this week, Michael Caine announced his retirement, and that was pretty significant, I think. I always, I, I don't want to be too morbid, but there's something about, um, I prefer when they when that happens, like it did recently with Robert Redford. I prefer them to to bow out on their own terms rather than all of a sudden. Because when I saw Michael Caine was trending, you know, it's my usual worry. Oh no! And uh, just we we've talked about him. We've done a peak performance on him. Absolute legend. And it's funny, Dan, because do you remember when we we watched uh, Tenet recently? And I actually said to you as part of my review i said oh, for the first time ever i looked at michael Caine and thought good grief you're you're really up there you really are starting to really look old and so i think that's i think i i think fair play to him for for, for bowing out now it's a it's a it's interesting they like for an, for an actor because there often isn't like the classic retirement age they you know take someone like anthony hopkins clint eastwood like you're working well into your your years when you should be relaxing and resting exactly right exactly right uh and then the yeah, the only other thing was there was a whole host of of dc trailers that came out this week and i don't want to talk spoilers because um i know some people don't like to watch the trailers i'm talking to you virgil tracy and our discord community um but i will say that the batman trailer with robert pattinson looks to be the real deal i'm confident we're going into a top-notch batman movie and the flash movie trailer whilst if i'm honest with you i really couldn't give two hoots about the flash um that we all know that Michael Keaton returns in that movie, and I will say this much: he narrates the trailer. And I was like a kid in the candy store. I must have watched it, or mainly just listened to it. I don't know four or five times. It's, it's amazing. It'll be the greatest movie of our, of our time. It's interesting, eh? Like I'm um, just going back to the the first trailer you talked about, the Batman one. I started to watch the trailer, and then I actually just I, I just pushed stop about. 30 seconds into it because I was like, I don't need to see anymore. Mm. Like, I'm already going to see this. Um, you sold me with the first teaser trailer with your Nirvana background music, and this already looks good. There's there's no selling required. Interesting. I, I won't dwell on this point, but one of my criticisms I was discussing with um, Ash from Palmerston North, who listens to the podcast, we were talking about it, and I said to him, and both he and I were in agreement on this, the most negative thing about that whole trailer was the nirvana music and we both likened back to the uh aquaman trailer and previous dc movies where they've um they've used come together by the beatles they've used uh, i can't remember but they've used very well-known and it is something that just doesn't work for me the usage of songs that i like but i don't want in my superhero i want the hans zimmer 
type experience and I can't put my finger on why that is but it's interesting that someone feels exactly the same way as me and then you've you've called it out as something that you like and a lot of people online are all buzzing about the Nirvana side of it so it's such a divisive thing Mm -hmm. I couldn't disagree with what you've seen more so um <laughs> that's good, that's good. <laughs> any more news from your input no that's enough i think um all right should we go in the mailbag absolutely um so oh yeah so firstly we've had you know so many people messaging us um saying that they have have voted for us which is so nice some have even been sending through screenshots almost as proof of their submission i feel like have i been putting the hard word on people that much i don't know but it's really kind um and all of you will be included in the acceptance speeches so so thanks for that um couple of responses from people to the things we've been watching um our regular hawks bay listener uh bab uh, she agreed with our review of of Virgil of, sorry, of Vigil <laughs> she thought it was a great series um, Michael uh, our friend from North Carolina he listened to your review of Freaky then um, he thought the movie was was good and a lot of fun um, last week you and I reviewed uh, Years and Years as requested uh, by Nika from, from Southland uh, she has listened to last week's episode and and she posted on our facebook page um saying that she agreed with all of our comments in the review it's a show that has has stuck with her for for weeks and weeks um not quite years and years so that was nice uh lena from somewhere in the uk she also loved years and years uh she agreed with me about Anne reed uh, said that she stole the show particularly with her speech at the dining room table and speaking of years and years, so Russell Tovey, who's the actor who plays Daniel, he retweeted our review to all of his followers, which was over a quarter of a million people. So we had a lot of traffic on Twitter that day, um, which is probably just as well we gave it five stars, because I think like if you're getting, <laughs> if, if someone from the world beyond was to tweet what we've been saying to a quarter of a million people, we might we might hear about that. Um, what else have I got here? Uh, the Panthers. Uh, so the review of the Panthers from last week. We had a, a few of the cast and crew share our review, including both of the showrunners and writers of the series, Tom Hearn and Halai Fanoa Finau, um, who also shared our Instagram post on their Instagram stories, which was real nice. And Pear from Blue Table Podcast also shared our Panthers review with her followers on Facebook. And she put on her post and half measures have set the bar in the podcast world. And honestly, I feel like these are things, these are quotes that we need to sort of like put on our tagline or on our LinkedIn's or something. Cause I don't know. I mean, are we paying her to say these things? Cause I'm not even getting paid. I feel like it's the tagline we would put on. Like if we had like a, a, a CD release of our <laughs> of, of half measures, we would put that on there as like the tagline under the title or on the back yeah. or something. We've set the bar. She doesn't say if we've set the bar high or low. She simply said half measures have set the bar in the podcast world. But um, that was very kind of you. Your support means everything. Uh, pair. I think they are another podcast that you could vote for in the NZ Podcast Awards. They do a fantastic job over there. They they really do. There's a daily live um, podcast. Actually, we're rescheduled to go on that uh, podcast in the in the future. Um, but yeah, Blue Table Telenoa podcast with Pear and Claudia. Um, if you've got a, a second vote, go and vote for those guys. They're they're great. And back back to the mailbag business. Gwyneth Paltrow was last week's peak performance. Um, 
We had Geek Girl Review from Australia went with Sliding Doors. Um, our regular contributors, Sador and Bruce, um, they both picked out seven, although also, interestingly, both of them independently remarked that we never got to see her in the scene that she indirectly had the biggest impact on and the biggest moment in that movie. So, you know, what's in the box then? Um, and finally, Paddy from Cork gave us his 321 of Glee. Penny. Sorry, my apologies. Can you edit that back in for me? I'll start again. Finally, uh, Penny from Cork uh, gave us uh, their 321 of Glee, <laughs> Iron Man, and the Royal Tenenbaums. And that's the mailbag this week. Amazing. Shall I take us on over to our peak performances? Let's go. So, much like Movie of the Week, each week Paul and I take turns choosing our favourite actors, actresses, directors, producers, um, and we discuss what we think are their peak performances. This week, we are taking a look at Josh Brolin. I'll let you go first, Paul. Cool. So, this is a really interesting choice for me because it was one of those ones, as soon as you said his name, I instantly knew. You know when sometimes you know, oh yeah, that's my peak performance. So I actually had a lot of fun and sort of thinking around what might be my uh, runner-up. And there's so much that I wanted to give it to that I'm really hoping that I pick something different to you. But my honourable mention will be No Country for Old Men. I feel like he is potentially overlooked when this movie is discussed because so much of the focus of that movie is around the the, the beautiful way in which it's directed the incredible story and of course the performance of um xavier bardem but he's so good in this movie his reaction to everything that's happening is 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 what sells that fear that we're all feeling in this movie and the the intense um the the, the thriller element uh he he he's us in that movie and i thought he was great so that that ultimately became my uh, my honourable mention, but my yeah, my peak performance as soon as I think of Josh Brolin straight away is the 2007 movie Planet Terror. Uh, he plays Doctor William Block. Um, so yeah, this is a classic Robert Rodriguez movie. Um, it's one of those ones that he made to look like it was made in the 70s. He did it back to back with Quentin Tarantino. With um, oh, the name escapes me. Death Proof. Um, they did it back to back as part of a grindhouse, and and whilst this movie is, is truly Rose McGowan's movie, for me he's probably my pick for like best supporting actor. I love, I love the way he played this this crazy doc, uh, doctor doc block um, with different color pens in his jacket and different. It means different things. He was just it was a very fun role for him, and even just thinking about it now makes me think, oh, I haven't watched it in a long time. I could go do a rewatch. So yeah, no country for old men and planet terror for me, Dan, what about yourself? Very uh, good choices. Uh, I've gone for something a little bit different and much like you, as soon as I, uh, picked it, Josh Brolin. I instantly knew what I wanted to go with. I didn't have to go away and do too much research. So for my honourable mention, I'm actually going to go way back to 1985 for Josh Brolin's role in the movie The Goonies. So uh, Josh Brolin plays the the older brother Brand in this movie, and The Goonies is just one of my favourite all you know, childhood sort of movies. I've just like. It encaptures the the 80s so perfectly. It's still a great watch today, and it's it's got a real like 
you know, Stranger Things are sort of based off these types of movies and it's just so much fun. And every time I see the the whole cast of that movie, Josh Brolin, Sean Astin, uh, Corey Feldman, it's it's always a good time. So that's my honourable mention. And for my peak performance, I'm going to go with the 2013 movie Old Boy. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Paul, but this is basically a movie where Josh Brolin's kidnapped and he's basically for and he's locked inside a, a room in solitary confinement for for 25 years wow. and he he doesn't know the reason for for why this happens and he comes out and basically goes absolutely crazy and rightly so because it's been 25 years and it's a movie that was referred to me by someone who I would not have expected to sort of refer this type of sort of quite dark um movies and it, it, it was a a fantastic watch. It doesn't necessarily score that high on uh, IMDb, but if you're a Josh Brolin fan and you can handle the Squid Game, you can definitely handle Old Boy. Fascinating. I was convinced one of us would have like Sicario in there, um, but what's interesting is I haven't seen Old Boy, and of course the Goonies. Well, you can't argue with that. That's the first thing he ever starred in as well, isn't that fascinating? I know, right? Well, the other one that I really wanted to get in there was obviously his role as Thanos in um, oh yeah, of course, in the Marvel movies. Like, there's so much, there's so much good stuff that he's in. But we mustn't break our own self-imposed rule, then. We should never be talking outside of the two movies, which we both have done. So let's stop it there. Great choice with Josh Brolin. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Indeed, it does. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. And if you do want to get in touch with us, please do so either at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social medias at Half Measures Podcast. And don't forget, if you want to find out what we're watching or what our movie of the week is, then come and join our Discord channel. Um, if you'd like to come a patron of the show, like Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner did, then you can also find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.